Let's begin reading in Genesis 16 in verse 1. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, and a spring on the way to Shur, and, uh, which kind of indicates that she's on her way home, heading back toward Egypt. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. There's a movie that I like to watch it's called While You Were Sleeping. In this movie, there's a guy that's all in his 30s or so, and, and he works for his dad. But he wants to go into business on his own. And there's a scene in the movie where the father and son are sitting around a table one morning and they're talking a little bit of business and they kind of open a box of donuts together. And the father tells the son, he said, work hard to, to take care and provide for your family. And he says, every once in a while, there's a moment when it just seems like everything has come together and everything is just peace. And the son looks at his father and he says, yeah, this isn't one of those moments, Dad. <laughs> and he begins to share with him his want to leave the family business and go into business for himself. The reason I bring that up this morning is because the New Testament points to Abraham continuously as a model of faith. But you know what? This just isn't one of those moments. Abram is seen as a man of faith in a lot of different times, but this is, this is not that moment in his life. We see Abram struggling. We see Abram falling. Not only him, but his, his wife Sarai. In fact, she kind of takes the lead through this time, it looks like, to a certain extent, until she's very happy to put it back onto Abraham. But they go through this time of struggle here. And, and you know, you look at it on one hand, and you, his life is kind of up and down a little bit. He seems to be a strong, 
person of faith who leaves his homeland and goes out and follows God. And then they go down to Egypt and he tells his wife, say you're my sister so that it covers my skin. And then they come back out and he's willing to chase down five kings or so to go rescue Lot. A big step of faith there. And then uh, we turn around and, and there's this. Right after God makes a covenant with him too. Remember in chapter 15, God has Abram lay out all the animals like they would do for a covenant back then. And he walked between the parts of the animals and make this covenant, and God made this covenant with Abram. So that's like got to be a high point in Abram's life. And then after we see that, the next event that we read about is this dealing between Sarah and Hagar and Abram. Remember, Abram was first given the promise when he was about 75 years old. The promise is going to involve several different things. God said, I'm going to make your name great. He said, I'm going to bless you, and your descendants are going to be as innumerable as the sand on the seashore, as innumerable as the stars in the sky. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you land, which he specified the borders to in chapter 17. Through you, all the world is going to be blessed. He started giving them that promise back at chapter 12, when he was about 75 years old. He reiterates it in chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15. He makes it official with that ceremony with the animal parts. And now Abram's 86 years old. So the point is, God gives Abram these promises, and he's been waiting for 10 years. Sarai, we know, is about 10 years younger than Abram, so she's 76, 75 at this time. And so she's been waiting for 10 years also, and she's not getting any younger. She's only getting older. And so, you know, that's, that can be one of the toughest things to do, can it? Is just to wait. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, chapter 40 and verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. But you know, in our walk of faith, waiting can sometimes be the most difficult part. Sometimes our faith spurs us to action. Because of our faith, we need to get up and get to work. We need to get up and accomplish things, do things. But sometimes, having done the part that we need to do, or maybe even continuing to do the part that we need to do. There's just this waiting. You just need to continue to trust. God had promised Abraham, you're going to have a child. Abraham at one point said, you know what, my servant's going to end up being my heir. God says, no, he's not. A child coming from you is going to be your heir. Well, ten years later, ten years of waiting, ten years of hoping, ten years of failed pregnancy tests, ten years of wanting that child, looking forward to that child. Maybe this will be the month and the month doesn't come and doesn't come and doesn't come. You know what? That's what we're considering today is that idea of waiting, that patience, that endurance. Sometimes the wait, as I said, can be the hardest part. But that's, you know, that's where faith really lies, that when even as things are starting to look impossible, we're still trusting, we're still, we're still hoping, we're still hanging on there. We're still relying upon God's Word. And that's what they needed to continue to do. Well, in this waiting on the Lord, unfortunately today we're learning from a negative example. The Bible tells us that both the positive things that we see in people of faith and the weaknesses that we see in them also are all there for our example. And today we're going to learn by some shortcomings of some people. In fact, Abraham and Sarah are such a poor example of faith at this moment that Hagar actually kind of shows them up. She goes out into the wilderness because she's mistreated by Sarai. And as the angel of the Lord comes to her and, and pronounces what he's going to do for her, which is give her descendants, give her her child Ishmael, his descendants that are going to be innumerable also, which is very similar to part of the promise that he gave Abraham, and sends her back, she just goes back. It appears that she just believes him. She, and she just goes back and does what he tells her to do. In the time where Abram and Sarah are having a real crisis of faith, it's actually the Egyptian servant 
that has the faith moment. She's the one standing out as the example of faith, if anybody is, in the passage. But unfortunately, from Sarai and Abram, we're going to learn from a negative example. The first thing that we see as we look at the passage is the conditions leading to a failure in faith. Now, the conditions are real. I would not belittle Sarai's situation at all. She's in a struggle here, no doubt about it. You know, she lives in a time and she lives in a place where, for a woman, childbearing is everything. To be able to bring children into the world was seen as the main job of a woman. The the main blessing upon a woman was to have children. And so for her, growing up through her life and, and experiencing this barrenness, not that other women didn't deal with that also, but it would have been a tough thing to deal with. But it's very different from our society in that sense. Not that we don't enjoy children, we do. If anything, there's more pressure on women to be like out in the workforce and, and, and not in the home and not with their children in our society. Our society is kind of backwards that way. And not that a woman can never be in the workforce. I'm not saying that. But the point is, if anything, there's more pressure the other way in our society. If you start having large families, that is looked at more weird. I remember when we had five kids and we would go out in public and stuff. You know, I remember having a discussion with Lisa at one time about how we felt about the way people looked at us sometimes. You know, I remember my, my father-in-law, they had six kids, and, and then they had one kind of late. Holly was born kind of late, and he said people's reaction would be like, wow, you have six kids? Wow. And my father-in-law would always joke with him. He says, yeah, it took me five times to figure out what was causing it. I figure I better have one on purpose. And so, but, but in our society, that's just kind of, when you get up to four or five kids, they're looking at you like, wow, this, um, this week Michael Koba stopped by and, and they're on their fifth kid now in four years. Their oldest one's four and they're on their fifth kid coming into the world here. Actually, he's already in the world, just not out where we can see him. He lives up in Canada and he says, man, the looks that we get from people when we go parading our little kids through a store or different things. You know what? It was, it was a, totally the opposite during their time. During their time, it was the barren woman that was watching those ladies with a trail of kids behind them just with her heart breaking. It was the barren woman that was feeling like such a failure that she couldn't provide children for her husband and she couldn't provide a family and lineage and heirs. There was just such a, a letdown, such a feeling of failure. And can you imagine? Let's put ourselves in Sarah's, which to be honest with you, I've never done before this week. And, and I, I will openly confess too, it's hard for me to do. I'm not a woman and she's a woman. I can't really put myself in her place accurately. Ha, about half of you can. But I was just thinking about her this week and I'm thinking, okay, she's unable to provide children for her husband. And I know that she would have felt a failure in that sense, and what would be the biggest sense of her life. And now think about it. God comes to Abram, and He says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to turn you into a great nation, which has to start with a great family. And through you, all the people of the world are going to be blessed. In their current situation, there is going to be no all the rest of the world for them, because their family, without any descendants coming from it, they will stop at them. And so that has to involve a child. Now, but think about this. Sarah's already feeling of, like she's letting her husband down. She's already feeling like she's letting the future of her family down because there aren't going to be descendants to go on from here. But now with God's promise that He's going to turn him into a great nation, He just took her failure and made it a national thing. Now, if you don't have children, not only are you letting your family down, there's going to be no future for your 
family. There's not going to be this nation that God's talked about either, if that's the case. And so your failure turns into a national thing. Actually, her failure would turn into a global thing. Because God said, it's through you that I'm going to reach the rest of the world through your descendants. So if Sarah can't provide this descendant, it's a global failure. And I can't help but think that she probably thought it through to that level as this touched her life a lot more dramatically at that moment. And so imagine how she's feeling in that way. That's, that's what's setting her up. Those are the conditions that led to the lapse in faith, that led to the failure at that point as they tried to take things into our own hands. And you know what? That's what happens with us at times too. We want things to turn out such a, such a way. We, we even see God's will and we want to make God's will happen. And the whole point is it's God's will, not your will. God can make these things happen. He can do it. When you think about it, where was Sarah ever named in the covenant with Abraham? I mean, she's his wife and they're, they're one and they're, it's going to be through them that all this happens. But God never said, Sarah, provide a descendant for your family. God said, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to turn you into a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. It was all God saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You just have to trust me and wait. In fact, the whole reason, now they wouldn't know this at the time, but the whole reason God is waiting is because he wants to wait until it's totally impossible for them to do it on their own. To where they're both well past the days of bearing children, and their bodies are, the New Testament says, referring back to it, as good as dead. And so it was physically impossible for them to have any children. That's when God wants to show up because God wants everybody to know this is special. This is the child of promise. This is not just a descendant of Abram and Sarah, though it is a descendant. This is the work of God fulfilling His promise to these people. That's why He wants to do it this way. That's why the timing. So you see, Sarai and her feeling like a failure is taking way too much upon herself. But you know what? We often do that. We often feel like we've got to control and we've got to make things happen and we've got to, we've got to, we've got to. And God says, I, I, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And sometimes when we've done our part, we just need to wait as we consider that here this morning. These are the conditions. Sarai wanting desperately to have children. Living in a culture that totally focuses on her having these children. Having the covenant of God. You know, when you think about it, she could say, I know that it's God's will for me to have a child. One of, the, one of the few people in history that can say that. And so when you think about it that way, she's just wanting the will of God to happen so bad. And she's been waiting for ten years, and finally she decides to take matters into her own hands. And that brings us to the next stage that we see, which is the compromising of her faith. There was a custom back in those days to do exactly what Sarah did. If a woman was barren and did not have children, and she could have a servant that she would hand over to her husband as a wife, and whatever child that the servant would have, if the husband said, you are my child, then that person would be the heir. And so it was a culturally acceptable and legal way to go about this thing. It doesn't justify it. doesn't make it right. Anything you see in the Bible that is instructive about uh, how we should operate in the marriage relationship goes all the way back to Genesis in the beginning. It says, A man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. The two will be made one flesh. Now the Bible does describe a lot of people that ended up marrying more than one person that had a polygamous relationship. But it never describes that as the way we should go about it. And as we see here, in those cases where we do find it in the Bible, it does not work out well. It didn't work out for the wisest man in the world, Solomon. It doesn't work out well for Abram. It does not work out well. And who to thunk, right? No kidding. 
It should not catch us off, off guard. I read, myself, read this to myself and it says, and Abram listened to Sarah and I think, you pick now to listen? You know? <laughs> Boy, you, you'd think you could see this one coming. Of all the bad ideas, this was, this was one of them. But what, is, what does Sarah do? What, is, what should she do? She should be waiting upon the Lord, trusting, just waiting. You get in your 70s, you get in your 80s. You know what? She's going to get in her 90s, the tip of her 90s before this baby comes. You just keep waiting and you just keep trusting. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, the world offers her a different path. The world offers her within the confines of their culture this path that if you have your servant have the baby, then that can be considered yours and, and you can take care of this. You can handle this on your own. And she decides to get involved. You know what? The world will always offer you an out when it comes to faith. The world will always offer you a substitute path, a different direction to go rather than trusting in God. That's what happens with her. That's what happens with Hagar as Hagar tries to run away. She's taken a different path. The angel of the Lord confronts her and says, nope, go back here. This is where I want you. The world will always offer you an easier path. The world will always offer you a way out of trusting in God. But that's not where we need to be. We need to not compromise in our faith. We need to hold strong in our faith. And we need to wait upon the Lord. And we need to do our part. And we need to trust. But Sarah decides, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And we're going to, maybe it's, in fact, notice how she says, maybe this is how we're supposed to do it. Like she's starting to question God's will. She says, God hasn't allowed me to have a, a child. That's true in her case. God was not allowing her to have a child yet. But she says, God isn't allowing me to have a child, so maybe we're supposed to take care of this a different way. There's a way that other women take care of this. Maybe we should take care of it that way. And that will provide the heir. The child will be mine because she's my servant. And we'll go with that. And what does she do? She compromises her faith. She stops waiting on the Lord and begins to take matters into her own hands. And then it says, And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. It'll say that a couple of times. Looked with contempt. There's a little bit of a play on words there. It's an idea that her, her mistress, Sarah, looked small to her now. And can you imagine the struggle that's going on there? I mean, when you take Sarai, and we've already delineated all the struggles and the failure that she would be feeling, well, can you imagine what you multiply that by when you take the young Egyptian servant girl that's in her house, and you have her go into Sarai's husband and becomes pregnant with a child with him? Can you imagine daily what's going to go on in that house? Is there going to be a big celebration on Sarai's part? Is she going to celebrate that as her own child? No. And then the dynamics there with Hagar. Hagar's looking down at Sarai. What you couldn't accomplish, I've taken care of. Your failure is my success. And she's probably asking questions. Well, that covenant. So that covenant now with Abraham. It's going to be my child, she's probably assuming, that's going to lead to the blessing of the whole world. My child that's going to be turned into this great nation. My child that's going to be... And so she's really got to be feeling up there. And now this struggle between Sarai and Hagar. Oh, man. Horrible. And then, to make it worse, when she brings it to Abram, she brings it back to Abram and she blames it on Abram. She says, all that is happening to me, it's your fault. And I'll I'll go with her on that. It was her idea, but man, that was stupid. And he's leading in his family. And he's and now, on the other hand, you, you say, well, no, 
The guy that wouldn't uh, stand up and say, you're my wife in Egypt, what do you expect about a guy like that? <laughs> you know? So he's blowing it here. He should have put his foot down and said, no, honey, we need to trust the Lord. We just keep hanging on. He'll, he'll pull through. We see that kind of stuff in Abraham later, right? We see him willing to offer up Isaac, his only son, the son of the promise, actually. We see those kinds of faith in Abram. But at this point, she doesn't get that. What she gets from Abraham is okay. And then afterwards, when she comes and says, Abraham, this is your fault. And you know what Abram does? Take care of it. Well, how many suspecting fathers have said that in our abortion industry, right? Take care of it. It's in, it's in your power. She's in your power. Do, do with her what you want. So Abram sets aside any concern for Hagar. He's really abdicating a lot of his concern for Sarah. Boy, what a huge compromise of your faith. You know what? If we get focused on the circumstances around us and trying to handle everything ourselves, we make a mess of things. And we'll cause the problems to grow and the confusion to get greater. And we really need to hold back and trust in the Lord. Well, that leads to the last point that we see. And that with all compromises, there are consequences. The consequences of failing in our faith. What do we see? Well, the relational things to start with. Abram is not following God. He's not relating well to God as he's turned his back on God through this lapse of faith. Abraham and Sarah's relationship break down. They thought they were doing something that was going to lead to joy, that was going to maybe be an answer to their, to their prayers, an answer to their problem. It was not an answer to their prayers, and it was not an answer to their problem. If they would have held strong in their faith, even one of them would have held strong in their faith, that would have made a difference of the world in their family relationships. Not only that, but they've just multiplied their problems. You know what's going to happen now? Sarai, finally, another 15 years or so, she's going to have a child and it's going to be Isaac. And he's the promised one. And so now Isaac's going to get the, the focus. Even God, will, when he says to Abraham, take your son, he'll say, take your only son. This is the one God recognizes, Isaac. And so Isaac, the only son, the promised son, is going to be brought up in the house with Ishmael, who will be the son of the servant woman, the son of the slave. And so you can imagine the family dynamic that causes. Ishmael's going to be making fun of Isaac at a family event. And Sarah's going to see that and get upset about that. And finally, they're going to have Ishmael and Hagar hit the road. And so it's going to bring brokenness into the family. But just as God told him in the passage here, just as he told Hagar, he would bless Ishmael in a sense and his descendants. He would become a father of nations. He would become a person who would have descendants that were innumerable, like Abram's would be. And we see, you know, we still are having the consequences of this action in our world today. Because you know who the descendants of Ishmael are? They're some of your Arab nations. And it's through Islam, looks at Ishmael as the chosen son, the promised son. And so we have the whole conflict between Judaism and Christianity and Islam. And the whole conflict between Israel and the Arab nations that surround it is a consequence of Abram and Sarai's lack of failure Back in that time, it brought consequences into their lives that would affect their family down through the generations and is still at the heart of most of our international crises today. Wow, it's amazing. You know, when we start trying to help God, and that's what Sarah was doing. She said, look, we're supposed to have a child. We're supposed to be turned into a great nation. Maybe this is how we need to do it. Maybe God needs a little help. Maybe He expects us to get in and do something here. You know what? God doesn't need her help. 
He doesn't need her help later when Hagar is before him. He doesn't need Hagar's help to fulfill his promise to her descendant. God doesn't need our help in that way. He just needs our trust. That's what he wants. He wants our faith. You know what? When we're praying through things and we're trusting God with, with things and we're, we're clinging to his promises and we're hanging on those promises, we're in a good place. When we decide God needs a little help, He needs a little boost, and we start getting our hands dirty with trying to provide that help, and we decide to think through things from a different angle, that's when we cause a lot of problems. That's when we cause a lot of hard, heartache and hardship. When we evade the wisdom of God and take our own wisdom to solve these problems, that's when we fall into trouble. As I said earlier, these things would have impacted Sarah dramatically. You know what? They impact you and I dramatically too. Not just in the way that we handle our different faith issues as we walk through life, as we follow their example or, or avoid their example, but there's one other way. Remember, this is all connected to that promise. Through you, I will bless the world. The whole world will be blessed through you. That's the promise. What is that promise indicating? That promise is indicating that Jesus would come. It's looking forward to the day when Jesus would come as our Savior. And then he would lay down his life on that cross. And then he would rise again from the dead. And so through Christ, a descendant of Abraham, we would be redeemed. We would experience salvation. This is directly connected to that. Because what's the point? The point is, Sarah says, God needs some help in providing this fulfillment of the covenant, which is the promise in Jesus Christ, the salvation in Jesus Christ. Sarah says, God needs a little help in fulfilling this promise, this salvation for us, and so we're going to help him. And you know what God says? I don't want your help. This is something I'm doing. You see, this comes right back to our own salvation. I remember for the first year and a half that I started going to church and learning about God and stuff like that, reading my reading the Bible, for the first year and a half I figured God needed my help. I figured if I'm going to have eternal life, if I'm going to have this salvation, if I'm going to, then it's going to involve me being a good person. You know what? It's not about that. Should we be good people? Absolutely we should be good people. But you know what? Not a one of us can be good enough to get there. Remember last time in Genesis chapter 15 what we saw? We saw God comes and he makes a promise to Abram and it's an unconditional promise. He didn't say, Abram, if you do this, then I'll do this. God just says, I'm going to do this with you, Abram. And then God walks between at the ceremony where they sign the covenant through, by walking between these animals. God walks through there alone. Abram's not in there with him. God is saying, I'm making this covenant to you. I'm making this commitment to you. I am going to do this through you. That's the whole point. You see, what we see in Ishmael is we see human involvement. We see human accomplishment. God has given us a promise. We can accomplish that promise through our human involvement. It's just of the flesh. Through Isaac, God waits until it can't be accomplished through the flesh. It can't be accomplished by human involvement. And God says, now I'm going to do this. And he does it. And so you have one that represents promise and the other that represents works. And if you read in Galatians chapter 4, they're struggling. They started out trusting in Christ for their salvation. That's it. And then some other people came along and said, well, it's not just faith. It's faith plus keeping the law. It's God's promise plus your human activity of following the rules. That's what gets you there. And in chapter 4, he says, if we look back into Genesis, we see two children 
Ishmael and Isaac. They stand for two different covenants. One covenant is the covenant of the law. It's Mount Sinai, where it says, if you do this, then I do this. If you do this, then I do this. It's a conditional covenant. That is what Ishmael represents, human effort. He says, and then you have Isaac. You have the child of promise. God promises it, even though it's completely, humanly speaking, totally impossible. God accomplishes it, and we have the promise of God fulfilled, and we just believe it. He says, so which is it? Is it only the promise, or does it involve our human effort? And you know what? He looks forward a little bit farther into Genesis and says, what does the Scripture say? It says, cast out the bondwoman and her child. That is, our human effort is not needed. It's not accepted. The dealing with Ishmael and with Isaac is an, an allegory to our situation. Do we, through our human effort, earn our standing before God? Or is it just given to us by God as a promise and we believe it and we receive it? God was accomplishing for us which we cannot accomplish on our own. He was providing his salvation for us and it's to be received by faith in trusting in his promise. They will receive it through faith as God provides it in Isaac. You know what? You will not be accepted by God through your own efforts. The only way to be accepted by God is through faith as he provided another Isaac, the real Isaac, as he provided not Abraham's son, but his son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross for us and then rise again from the dead.